Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is professional triathlete, Joshua Lewis. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I got a text message a couple of weeks ago, a couple of text messages actually, and a few emails saying, oh, this uh, this guy, Josh, mentioned you in his uh, his YouTube video talking about an aspect of freestyle, like the, the catch and kick timing. So I had a look at the video and I thought, oh, that's that's really cool that you've you've mentioned that. And you coming from a swimming background, learning and, and still picking things up, I, I love to, to see that from athletes of your level. So that's how I came across you. And then we obviously got in touch and I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk a bit about what you're up to, what you're doing, but also just to chat swimming in general because you come from a swimming background you've made it to a a pretty high level in swimming you've also competed at the com games in triathlon as well so high level athlete in in many sports so i thought it'd be great to get you on to uh, to chat so for those that are that are listening what's a little bit of background on your swimming career and then that transition to triathlon yeah well firstly again thanks for having me i can't believe that people were messaging you in terms of trying well mentioning my youtube video like it's always a shock i constantly get surprised when people have actually watched the videos like it still shocks me so yeah to have someone that i've watched multiple times on youtube actually contact me is a privilege so yeah thanks in terms of my swimming career i've basically been swimming since i was two i think it was but competitively yeah it's been a massive part of my life and i can't really explain or go into detail about how much it's influenced my whole career in terms of both education and sport so yeah I guess like in terms of highly competitive stuff I've been to quite a few island games which for those who don't know it's a smaller version of the Commonwealth Games for islands rather than countries or bigger countries and it's one of those championship events where the whole team gets behind you you've got your whole island i'm from guernsey so i go and represent guernsey which is obviously a massive privilege in itself just to be able to represent where you're from and that's every two years so not quite on the four-year cycle like the olympics or commonwealths but it's an unreal experience nonetheless and it gives you that motivation to carry on doing what you're doing carry on being a competitive swimmer because I think for a lot of people, it's easy to not push on through the elder years if you don't have those sorts of targets, if you're not quite at the national level that you can kind of target and then go and compete. So it is really good from the islands, from Guernsey to keep you interested. So I was massively kind of grateful for that. And that actually carried me through things like the Youth Commonwealths, but also through to university when I went there because it kept me wanting to carry on swimming because I had that Island Games target. And I think the one where I was in first or second year of uni was Bermuda. So it was a massive kind of motivation for me to carry on because I really wanted to go out there and compete. So yeah, that that, that was such an important part of education and sport because it, it kept my structure through my days and allowed me to study at the same time and be effective in both. So I think that it can't be underestimated how much structure and kind of dedication and motivation it gives you to do both things and be efficient with your time. So yeah, no, I I really think that those early years of swimming have massively helped 
in all aspects of my life, to be quite honest. And you finished swimming competitively at 24, and that's six years after finishing school. Majority of people, myself included, stopped training the same amount that I was usually when I was sort of full time when I went to university. So when I was when I was 19, and I was still swimming twice a week, I think, but not of any great intensity or or volume. But if you can keep it going, that sort of 18 to 24 mark, like you. For a lot of males, like your peak is actually like late late twenties, sometimes early early thirties as well. And so many swimmers do just stop because it is a massive commitment in terms of time and, and effort. And sometimes priorities change as well. But if you can just even keep something going, some sort of regular regular session or swim, it makes a huge huge difference going forwards. And as you said about the structure over COVID, when there was like we couldn't go to the pool, when I lost that structure of actually uh, of swimming having my regular squad sessions that was really hard i need something in place to just give me that uh, give me that habitual sort of cycle to to get into and uh, and it, it's very hard it was hard to not have that so the fact that that kept you going through university and kept you on track so you i'm sure studied well and, and got the results that you're after i think it's a it's a very important thing is that that structure yeah, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And it, it's just the kind of dedication as well to to whatever you're doing. I think sport has a massive factor in that. So I was able to transfer that between education and sport. And like the whole ability to be able to break down a goal was then also into, into smaller chunks, for example, was something that you obviously do throughout your life within sport because obviously you've got your end goal of a time or an achievement or an accomplishment. And then you've got to be able to break that down. And I was able to luckily put that straight into my studies in architecture. So I was like, okay, what does it take to get this result? And I was quite good at breaking that down with the marking criteria and then being really efficient with the time spent doing that in order to get the results that I kind of wanted. Mm. And that's what sport's really good for is it's such a clearly defined goal that you can have, whether it be time-based, whether it be making a team, it's it's very clear what you're working towards and also what you need to do to to get there. Like it's not it's not rocket science what needs to happen. It's like I need to do this many sessions a week. I need to hit these times over the next six months and need to do this sort of volume, need to work on my technique in this way. So it's very clearly defined. And I think sometimes outside of sport, it can be a bit more wishy-washy and less defined. So it's easy to drift off track if you don't sit down and think about what it is you want your life to look like or you want your your lifestyle to, to be like, whether it be work or family and those sorts of things. And the times where I've spent like no phone, just sit down, piece of paper, I've got questions written out, you know, what... What do I want my, my family life to look like? What do I want to be doing in three years? Those sorts of things. If you actually take the time to sit down and write it, things become much clearer. And it is hard with the distraction of a phone. It, like if it's there all the time, it's just it's just hard to have those moments and that, that time where you, you're thinking very deeply about things. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Smart Swim Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $249. US They've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles 
and you have one year membership included for free. And if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only 15 US dollars a month where you get access to their workouts, training plans and custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the form goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback heads up display where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap, I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it's such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch between the different speeds that you want to swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I, I actually think of what you're talking about as dials. So if you if I say I've got four different dials, for example, I might have more, but let's call it four. And I've got my relationship, I've got my sport, I've got my business and I don't know, social. You can't have all those dials turned up to 10. You've got X amount that you can like t- dial them up to. Say they're all at seven and that's your kind of working capacity on all of those. If you need to push on and one of them, one of the other ones have to go down. So yeah, it's, it's getting the balance right. If you don't want a balance, that's absolutely fine. And sometimes you can't have a balance, but it, it's you've just got to be able to prioritize correctly and having those priorities by doing what you're saying and like jotting it down and knowing what you want and what your goals are and how to achieve them is really important in, to be able to prioritize what you want. And I think that's something that I've had to learn over time to be able to do more effectively. When you switch to pro triathlon to essentially you know, full-time triathlon outside of your, you know, your your job, did you look at that beforehand and go, am I willing to commit the time and the energy into doing what it takes to become a pro triathlete? Because it is a big time commitment. It is not an easy sport to train for because there's obviously a lot of moving parts. There's three different sports and what's required is a lot of a lot of hard work and and physically pushing yourself very very often very regularly in those three different disciplines so did you sort of look at that and go yep i'm willing to commit and do what i need to reach the goals that i'm looking to do because you you basically look at what are those that are in the top of sport what are they doing and am i willing to make that commitment (laughs) that's a funny one like I don't think I ever sat down and thought about it like that. I almost fell into it in a way. So I don't think I ever sat down and was like, I want to be a professional triathlete. That never really happened. In when Basically, for my fourth year of study, I had to go to London to work. So I was kind of unable to train swimming as much as possible. So what I ended up doing was 
pivoting into triathlon because I was able to cycle and run a little bit easier in and around London rather than not having a swim club or a decent pool around me. So the pivot to triathlon happened in that year. And then from that, I basically was relatively good in terms of the Guernsey triathlon scene at the end of that year of training. And they kind of put on my agenda or made me clock the fact that I might be able to qualify for the Commonwealth Games for triathlon. And that was like a big deal for me. So I then kind of went back to university in my fifth year and was trying to juggle study and training at the same time. And to be honest, I knew that professional triathletes trained between that 25 and 30 hours a week but I wasn't physically able to do that with having to study like 60 hours of architecture a week which is probably a lot less than the majority of my year group were doing so it was a case of how do I kind of get the best result in architecture because I think I was I was like teetering on potentially getting a first which is I think it's changed now but I was like I think I know what it takes to get a first, but then at the same time, I really want to qualify for the Commonwealth Games. And again, it was that priority thing of this is what it takes for getting qualifying. This is what it takes for a first. How do I balance those? What do I want more? Commonwealths for sure, because that's potentially a once in a lifetime opportunity. A first, will it actually make a difference in my life? Probably not. So it was a case of transition or making that decision to concentrate a little bit more on triathlon than study and then I did manage to qualify and then when I qualified I then went full into triathlon to focus on the Commonwealth Games so it was like a weird transition and then when I spent that year basically I, I had part-time work like just trying to fund myself to be able to do the triathlon when I did that it, it was almost like a seamless transition into okay now you're kind of a professional triathlete because you're almost full-time and then you've then you just fall into the system of training with a, an international squad because I was fortunate enough to have one almost built around me, not because of me, but it kind of happened in the same area that I was training. So like it formed in the same place that I was training. So I was training with the international triathletes and then all of a sudden you're on this conveyor belt, similar to, I guess, what happens in education quite often. You just get conveyed through the system until you get to the end of university, say, and then you're like, what am I doing with my life? But because I had the seamless transition of doing university and then conveying straight on to the triathlon scene, it wasn't an active decision to become a professional triathlete. It was just the next step, I guess, in what I wanted to do at that time. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes me think back to when I first started coaching. So I was at university first year, and I was living on campus at Melbourne University and they had a swim squad that was training twice a week and the coach there was was finishing up and someone I think said, oh, look, they've got a coaching role there. You know how to swim. Like you'd be, you might be good at that. So I, I took on this coaching role and my, my dad was or is a swim coach. My granddad was a swim coach as well. But I never thought I'm going to be a swim coach. It, it hadn't entered my mind. But I did like teaching people. I did like working with people. And I think my brain was very much oriented in that kind of direction in the, the teaching, coaching. Anyway, it's what I, I really enjoyed just based on school. Like I would, wouldn't tutor people, but I'd, I'd help them with different subjects and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed it. And then, so I got this coaching role twice a week, enjoyed it. One of the swimmers there said, oh, we've got a, a master's club. Our coach there is leading. We'd love you to 
come and see if, if you want to do it and ended up coaching seven sessions a week there for about eight years and at that time I started effortless swimming while I was at university and then just sort of started that while I was coaching for about 12 13 hours there at this master's club and yeah like same thing I just sort of fell into it but realized that I loved it and then just see what you really enjoy doing and you just sort of follow that follow that path so yeah for me as well it wasn't just an active decision where I'm like all right what do I want to do with my life you just especially at that age you just got to figure out what it is that you're good at what you like and how you like to think and what you're doing at the moment is is teaching architecture at, at university and so you're obviously sort of thinking that way as well and you're coaching triathletes as well so you're probably very similar sort of mindset to, to mine I imagine. Yeah I'd say definitely very similar and the way that you describe well I say falling into it and I realized that I explained my transition into professional triathlon as falling into it as well but it it's far more, we should give ourselves more credit, I think, because we've both put ourselves out there to do things which we thought we might be good at or had an interest in and actually pursued it. So I think that I always forget that I've put myself in the position to do these things. And it, whilst it is falling into place and things like that, it's, it's actually far more, you've given yourself the opportunities, you've put yourself out there, you've explored what you might be interested in. And I, I mean, I'd never have it any other way. Like I've definitely, I've definitely never been shy to put myself in positions, like try and help other people. I was always like putting myself out there to like be a year rep or tutor people before I started actually tutoring after university. It was there was an option to, I think, tutor younger years. And I would always like put my name forward just because I enjoyed it. And then, yeah, it was, again, almost a seamless transition. I, I went for an interview at university, not for tutoring necessarily, but I think it was for a graphic design role. And then they were just like, oh, no, actually, we'd prefer you to tutor if that's okay. Your skills are more apt for that. So I was like, amazing, literally amazing. That was what I'd prefer to do anyway. So it was like, again, falling into place, but you put yourself out there for the interview or whatever it was. And that's where I really, really had my passion for teaching, which I very much find similar to coaching. I think we were saying before, like teaching and coaching is a very similar sort of thing. You're just delivering information to people in a way that they're able to understand it and then also execute it. So yeah, I, like for the coaching side of things and teaching, I absolutely love the puzzle of delivering information to different people in different ways so that they can actually achieve their goals. So yeah, no, it definitely sounds a similar sort of kind of trajectory as to what you found with your teaching and coaching. And I always have to remind myself that people who are starting out swimming, and it's the same thing with triathlon, is that can be a very big step for them if they don't have a background in any of the sports or even if they've got a background in running, but they're new to, to swimming or to cycling. It can be quite nerve wracking for them. It can be, can, people can be quite reserved and very conscious about how they look or in the water, what they're doing, those sorts of things. So getting into a sport like swimming or triathlon can be a big life decision for people. So just I have to remind myself that like not everyone's comfortable or confident walking into the pool and like you don't know how it works in the beginning. You don't know that you've got to go around in a circle and get in the, the right lane and all there's all these little rules that we have to learn. And so even just some of those basic things can be, can be life-changing for people when they when they learn them and in terms of putting yourself out there I think it's 
like those things that do that you hesitate to do that are a little bit scary are the ones where you look back and go i'm so glad i did that and some of those ones for me were when i started this podcast which was about i think it was about 10 years ago now like this was before podcasting was cool i started the podcast because my coach said look you should do a like start this podcast and so i thought about it for six months and then i'm just like all right i'll just whatever i'll do it and i had a guest michael Klimon, who's an australian olympian and he was my first guest and i was so nervous talking to him i was just asked i was there like an an interviewer just asking him questions and there was no no back and forth because i'm just like i'm this who wants to listen to me first of all and then i can't believe this australian champions decide to come on my podcast but i'm so glad i did because had i not taken that step we wouldn't be talking. Most people probably wouldn't know about effortless swimming and and I wouldn't have developed and grown as a, as a person and as a communicator. And I've, I've learned so much from this podcast with guests I've had on and just improved my communication skills because, because of this. And we've been nearly 300 episodes in and I'm just so glad I took that, that step. So it, it is those decisions that can be a little bit scary initially that you often look back at and go, God, I'm glad I, I did that. Definitely. And yeah, it doesn't matter what it is. And I did the same thing. I think the biggest step for me was YouTube. And that is putting myself out mm. there massively, because it's weird for one, staring into a camera. And two, it's weird talking into a camera, but especially in front of people. I think that's like a really, I found it a very embarrassing thing to do. So, but then I kind of had the two to three year plan of trying to like put myself out there, trying to educate people, entertain people, whatever it is, inspire people to do those different things, enter triathlon, for example, or help them out with certain specific things. But it was still terrifying. Like I, I kind of, I guess sandbagged it in front of my friends and was just like, yeah, so embarrassing, whatever. But I was just like, I know I have this end goal of trying to help other people. So it's something I really want to do, but I still kind of wanted to diffuse it in the eyes of others, I think, for a a long time until I started getting the affirmation, I guess, from other people when I met them or the comments on YouTube being like, Oh, it is really helpful. We love what you do. Like, and and again, like I said earlier on, like it shocks me whenever people watch them or watch the videos and then comment or talk to me about them because I'm like, it's it's baffling that people actually are interested in what we have to say or what I have to say. Like, it it does shock me every time, but it's really nice. I I do love it. It, it means everything to me. Yeah, I think taking that first step is the is the biggest one, especially when you've when you got no followers, you got no audience. It's like, oh, it's like a little bit nerve wracking. However, the good thing about that is no one's watching you when you've got no audience. So it doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter how you do it. No one's going to be watching you anyway. And so you can just get better over, over time. And it's the same thing when people are new to swimming, like they'll go to the pool and be nervous about it. Oh, people, what are people going to, going to think, but no one's watching you. No one cares how you swim. So it's really just, it's just you in the pool. And if you can just keep chipping away and keep doing those things that you, you know, that you need to do to get better, you, you will get better. So people are really only thinking about themselves. And that's, that's advice that I've ha- taken on board the last yeah, couple of years that whenever I'm, if you're ever self-conscious about what you're doing or anything like that, people do not care about you. They are just too busy thinking about themselves for better or worse. So that's why... I think filming yourself in, in public, talking to a camera in public, it's, that's only going to help in the, in the long run. 
Now, I want to uh, just shift gears a little bit and talk a bit about swimming. So you're obviously accomplished swimming yourself, still looking to improve like I think all the, all the good swimmers are, all the good triathletes are. What are some of the, the fundamentals that, that you think about personally, not for your athletes, but for you personally? What do you always sort of keep in the back of your mind as you're, as you're swimming? Firstly, I think technique-wise, it's a bit of an obsession. I think that it's so important with swimming, despite obviously having swam all my life and loads of things already being automated or intrinsic and just having a good feel of the water, I still think that no matter what, you need to be concentrating on what you're doing and really focusing on technique because as soon as you start slipping up there and not concentrating on it, it really makes a massive difference as to what you're doing. I think what I'm concentrating on primarily at the moment is is still that timing, to be honest, and at different speeds. So making sure that the catch-kick combo or whatever you want to call it is really happening throughout the different speeds. So like the faster I get, I'm making sure that that's still happening and doing it with different leg speeds. So not just a two beat, but a four beat as well. Like I don't think you need to go any faster than that for long distance triathlon. For me, it's all about conserving energy. So yeah, just like, I guess that that's going on to the main point with triathlon specifically is it's all about going as fast as possible for the least energy possible because swimming is just one of the three disciplines and yes you need to be at the front of the race as a professional otherwise the race goes away from you but you've got to do that for the least cost possible so it's my current focus in swimming is yeah just efficiency in the water for the best speed and have you found yourself going too hard in the swimming in races in the past because i when i had my brief stint in triathlon for a season i really only cared about winning the swim that was my main <laughs> goal so i i burned a lot of ma- a lot of matches <laughs> in the swim to the detriment of my my bike ride but uh, if i was racing pro i think i'd be a little bit smarter about that but have you found yourself going too hard in the swim at times oh i've been burned so many times so <laughs> i th- it's it's a tough it's a tough puzzle because as a swimmer specifically you uh, produce a lot of lactic acid because you are constantly working the VOT max system. And yes, you're training at the different levels as well. But I think because to go fast, you have to be able to produce lactic. That system is constantly being kind of used, improved. And to be a good triathlete, you have to kind of do almost the opposite in terms of training to produce less lactic for the same effort or speed so that you can get out of the water and cycle a bike. But the biggest burn that I've ever had was I was swimming quite well in the lead up to the 2018 Commonwealth Games. And I was getting hyped up by a fair few people, including the Brownies, to be honest. Like I'd done a bit of training with them in Australia and Noosa before the actual Gold Coast Games. And they were like, oh, you can lead us out or whatever. And like they probably just completely had me on. But I, <laughs> I started the race and I went full guns blazing. And I was like in in the kind of line of just ahead I think and then obviously just started tying up completely I think going around the first boy at the far turn point I was just completely full of lactic acid I was going backwards very quickly I think by the second turn boy I was five from the back like it was terrible considering that I could 
probably swim yeah like a 55 56 100 meters which is way faster than the majority of the other triathletes could do but then they could swim 106s constantly and i could like by the end of the race was probably swimming like 120s 130s and coming out like a bag of spaghetti was that the excitement of the the race or was it because you're like oh okay yeah like the brownleys are saying i'm you know i should be at the front here was was it mostly that or was there part of that sort of excitement of of the you know the qualifying race both it was a case of you're in the commonwealth games you're excited you're amped up but also i think i had a complete misconception of where i was actually at in terms of my thresholds or in terms of my actual swim ability so yes i was able to swim fast but i wasn't able to swim 750 meters without putting in or without conserving energy for the rest of the race Mm. and and then with that experience we able to take that learning into other races where have you found now that you you can just find that threshold and you're just happy to sit at it and you're not spurred on by trying to maybe make a breakaway or be the first out of the water yeah it's it's been a long painful learning curve i'm going to call it throughout my draft legal uh career because i think draft legal and non-drafting are completely different for me in particular so draft legal you can't let the race go because if you miss the front bike pack then you're out of the race almost so you need to be near the front you need to be trying to make that pack and i think that excitement or that kind of pressure to make it caused me harm because i was constantly thinking that i should be at the front of the race and just not having the ability to so i definitely had to learn how to race like you're saying and just keep a lid on things especially to that first boy so that I didn't completely gas myself. And then that I have learned that towards the back end of my draft legal career. And so for, for people who don't know, draft legal is when you can like cycle in a little peloton, whereas non-drafting, you have to keep your 12 meter gap or 20 meter gap in challenge events. But when I've gone into non-drafting racing, it's a lot easier for someone like me, who's notoriously a pool swimmer, who because there's a thinner field of top quality swimmers. So you get a little bit more space around you. You don't get clattered and I'm able to swim a little bit more like in a lane. So I'm able to swim a little bit more efficiently as well without being hampered. Because as soon as I get hampered by people, then I'm like panicking, building up lactic and yeah, struggling for the rest of the swim essentially. Mm. And in terms of swim sets and sessions, people do like to hear what what kind of sets people at the top level are, are doing are there any regular sets that you'd be doing and what sort of cycles are you on what sort of paces are you holding yeah we do some disgusting sessions to be honest we do some quite meaty sessions i think one of my favorite ones is we do all our main sessions long course so one of them is 14 times 300 meters and we do it off of a i i think long course it's a 85 base no 82.5 base so we we come in off of like a 330 ish and then we go on a 340 or a 355 so it's a fartlek so on one of the reps we come in on a 330 go on 340 and then on the next one we'll come in on a 340 and go on a 350 does that make Mm -hmm. sense yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, it's a fart like over under and we do that for 14 300s, so seven rounds of, of the 
over under and that's a pretty meaty session that's a that's a solid one that's <laughs> four that's a that's a challenge and is that something you had to you had to build up to have you sort of gotten better over time with that yeah definitely i think like it, it's it's easy to look at some of our sessions now and be like oh that's fine you know three times 1500 descend is like normal but when we look back over the past couple of years it's it's definitely not something that we used to do we've built up to it slowly over time and that's testament to our coach luke like he's managed to trick our brains into how to do it over a long period of time so yeah maybe three times 1500 was never split up into that maybe it was split up into 250 meters rather than 500 meters and then it's three times 500 meters three rounds of that etc so yeah no it's, it's breaking up over time and then building up to it over time and not expecting to do fast times straight away and having realistic kind of expectations of that and it's been really good and like where we're at now i think is a shock to when freshers come and join us at university and join the performance squad because they're like what are these sessions and then yeah we just need to kind of like be like no just start out like this and then you'll be where we are by the end of your year so yeah it's good yeah and you might be listening to this going 14 300s like my that's like my whole week of swimming that much distance but it's and we spoke about this on the i spoke about this on the podcast last week is like it's just start start small make it doable don't try and swim at paces that you can't sustain that way like it's it's all just gradually built up over over time and over over many many years so if you if you can just have that patience to be willing to be at whatever time you're at and you keep working on your technique and you keep getting to the pool on a regular basis like the times will come down you will get fitter and faster but a lot of times people see what their friends are doing or other athletes are doing on Strava or on a podcast like this and go, oh man, I'm not, I'm not doing enough or I'm, you know, I need to, to change what I'm doing. Yeah, maybe that's the case. Maybe you need to, to do more, but you have a huge background in swimming. You've competed at a high level in triathlon for many, many years. And this is at the upper echelons of triathlon. So you don't need to, uh, to get there straight away. Just take your time. And thinking of an athlete who's been on the podcast who lives near you, Josh Sally, he, he, only started about 18 months ago now, started swimming, and he's already doing some pretty decent volume in his sets. And But he's take, he's been very regular with it, getting to the pool a couple of times a week, and he's consistently focused on his stroke. And over that 18 months, he's just built it up over time. So you can fast track things, but you can't fast track it without doing the work. It's like you just need that consistency over time. And it, it sounds like, I mean, you've you've had that consistency for many many years so you just there's no getting around doing the work no i couldn't agree more consistency is king that's something that i try and teach in architecture when i'm tutoring or whether it be my coaching philosophies like the overarching goal is to be consistent and that's something that i've i've had throughout my life but specifically in triathlon is is just keep turning up keep doing what's necessary be patient like you say that is the the key focus on yourself not on others that is something that every athlete falls foul to, I feel, from time to time. And it's one of the key things that I think that enables you to be consistent is to have the intensity control, the kind of whereabouts to be like, this is what I need to do for myself rather than this is what someone else is doing. I need to copy that. So like, I don't think that 
anyone should be looking. I, I very rarely look on Strava myself because I'm very confident in what I'm doing, the program that I'm doing, and don't feel the need to kind of seek out what other people are doing to compare myself to others. I, I am a strong believer of what I'm doing is good enough and therefore it doesn't really matter what other people are doing because I'm optimizing every everything possible for myself. So if other people have the same belief, yes, Strava is fantastic for social, for all of that sort of jazz, but don't be trying to compare yourself to others and what they're doing to improve what you're doing. If you've got a good coach, if you've got a good training plan, then you need to put full trust into that rather than trying to look for other ways of doing things or what other people are doing. Mm. I, I don't use Strava a lot at the moment because I haven't been running heaps, but I, whenever I'm, if I'm ever on it, I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to see anyone else's feed. I don't care what they're doing. Cause I know it's more than me. I just, I just want to see like, all right, where was, where did I run this, this last time? Or what was the elevation? It's like, that's all I care about because seeing them, the only thing I could get from it is maybe some motivation where I'm like, I oh, stuff this guy. Like I'm fast, I'm fitter than him. Like, all right, I'll, I'll do more. But yeah, really it's just, if you're focused on yourself, then and you just keep working on it. That's where the results will come. So uh, Josh, I appreciate you, you being on the podcast and also for mentioning effortless swimming in your one of your videos recently. And uh, I'm glad you did because it's put us in touch and a great communicator. You seem like you got a good head on your shoulders and obviously a, a very high level athlete as well. So I wish you all the best for your pro triathlon journey. And I've got no doubt you'll go a long way because uh, yeah, very well-spoken. You're, you're doing a lot of things with your triathlon, the YouTube working as well. So you good time management as well by the look of things. So I wish you all the best going forwards. Where would you like to direct people to if they're listening to this and would like to follow you yeah it depends where what people are interested in if they're if they're interested in coaching like please do drop me a message or visit our website entirepc.com or if you just want a little bit of motivation or insights into what i'm up to on a weekly basis then my youtube's probably a good good shout i don't know where you can find the link but i think it's at josh underscore lewis on youtube as a url but yeah that's probably the best bet for people if they just want a little bit of an insight into what i'm up to and maybe some tips but yeah like i said before credit where credit's due effortless swimming is a fantastic platform i've learned so much from it myself i direct a lot of my clients there as well for swim technique tips so yeah no it's it's been really nice to chat to you as well and get in touch and just hear a little bit more about what you're up to yeah i appreciate that thanks very much josh and uh, great chatting likewise cheers Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.